Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. One of the many very powerful moments of the gospel story of Christ's passion is that moment when Jesus and his disciples are at the Garden of Gethsemane, where our Lord prays to his heavenly Father and makes peace with what is just about to happen and where his closest followers, his disciples, rather than keeping watch with Jesus in the wee hours, fall asleep. It's a moment that is both sad and revelatory about those disciples, and it also says more about you and me and our relationship with Christ than we really want to admit. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about in today's message, which is entitled Keeping Watch, and is based on Mark's account of the night in the Garden of Gethsemane from chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. I think I have shared with you before that one of my very first jobs in the real world was that of a midnight security guard on the weekends at the newspaper plant at the Bangor Daily News up in Maine. Actually, friends, to call what I did being a security guard was a gross exaggeration of the facts. I had no uniform, I carried no weapon, and I had absolutely no authority whatsoever to deal with any situation that might have arisen. Basically, I was there for insurance purposes. My job, my only job, as it turned out, was to walk around to about 15 different stations around this mostly empty plant once an hour, punching a time clock at each and every station so that the insurance company would always know that everything was fine and that somebody, somebody was keeping an eye on things which was interesting because if anything had gone wrong at all, I wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. In fact, I remember asking my supervisor what I should do if, say, I ran into an intruder or, or, or happened upon some kind of dangerous situation. And my su supervisor's answer was very simple, run. <laughs> so it was quite a job. But it was actually a really terrific job at that time for me because I was a young seminarian with a boatload of schoolwork to do. So basically, as long as I did my walk around the building every hour, the rest of the time was my own. The only hard and fast rule was that I could not, under any circumstances, fall asleep on the job. The insurance company needed to have that regular hourly accounting and the time clocks were such that you really couldn't fudge on that rule at all. So it was crucial that I stayed awake all throughout my shift. It was generally from 11 to 7. And to stay awake seemed simple enough when I took the job, but in reality, it was the hardest part. Turns out, that reading thick volumes of church history and systematic theology at four in the morning doesn't aid you in keeping awake. And though I drank all the coffee I could hold, turned up the radio and sang along with every song that played, 
there was always this period of time in the wee hours of the morning, four to five, I always seem to remember, when it was actually painful to try to keep my eyes open. I knew I shouldn't fall asleep. I knew I couldn't fall asleep if I wanted to keep this job. But what I remember even now is how overwhelming the urge to sleep could be and how very close I came a number of times to getting caught at it. Friends, I may very well have been the one who invented the concept of the power nap. Now, I tell you all this as a way of confessing to you this morning that on some level, I understand how the disciples could fall asleep that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. How even when Jesus had said to them that he was deeply grieved, even to death, <coughs> and for them to wait and keep what? <coughs> how even when the disciples seemed to know that their master was struggling with what was about to unfold to the point where in Luke's version of this story, we're told that Jesus was actually sweating blood. Still, still, even all that, given all that, the disciples' eyes became heavy and their bodies were overwhelmed by the need for slumber. Over the centuries, many historians have theorized that the events of that night and, and all that Jesus had already said to them had simply drained all their strength and resistance. Others have suggested that maybe it was the Passover feast itself, the dinner, the wine, all of that leaving them drowsy, not unlike how you and I might feel after a big Thanksgiving dinner. Then again, going back to Luke again, in the gospel, we're told that the disciples were exhausted from sorrow, overcome with grief in anticipation of what was to come. And truly, anyone who has been through it or is going through it knows that grief is physically and emotionally exhausting. Or maybe it was that the disciples didn't fully appreciate what was happening or didn't want to see this for what it truly was. Sleep was their way of pretending that what Jesus had been telling them wasn't really true, and that after a good night's sleep, everything would be better, things would just go on the way they had gone before. So, with all of that, the truth is, is that we don't know why exactly. All we know is that on this long, dark night of prayerful agony, it ended up that Jesus' disciples, his closest friends, mind you, rather than keeping watch with him, not once, but three times, they had to be rousted out of their sleep. And you can almost hear the disappointment in Jesus' voice when he finds them sleeping from the text from Mark that Cindy read to us this morning. Could you not stay awake for one hour? It is a moment of profound sadness and vulnerability in Jesus, which is arguably unlike anything else we have seen in the Gospels up to that point. And not only is it the point that the passion begins for Jesus, 
You'll notice that the reading this morning ends with the arrival of the betrayer. It is also the point, I think, where the passion begins for us as well. And I'll tell you what, friends, quite frankly, that is more than I want to consider. Because after all, you know, all throughout this Lenten season, we have been on this journey to the cross, if not literally, but then at least spiritually speaking. We've been following Jesus on the way to where he was going for the sake of our redemption and salvation. But what that means, you see, is that on the journey, we have essentially taken our place alongside his disciples. Or, for that matter, alongside the countless others who followed on behind Jesus, as, as Scripture alludes to it, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And I don't know about you, but as the scene shifts, as it does in our reading this morning, to the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm realizing I really don't want to think of myself that way. I don't want to think on, that on the night of our Lord's greatest agony, I would have fallen asleep. I don't want to consider that there was a time when the one that I need more than life itself needed me to simply keep watch with him. But I might as well have been among those who could not have even stayed awake long enough to give him that. I don't want to be a disciple in the story. And here's why. Because if it's possible that I would be among those who could not even have kept watch with Jesus for one hour, then maybe I could have also, just as quickly, just as easily, denied knowing Jesus at all at a moment when it mattered the most, like Peter did. Or that I could have been swayed, like the rest of the angry mom, to cry out for his crucifixion. Or that I might have joined with the countless people along the streets of Jerusalem, the same crowd, by the way, who have been shouting hosannas and waving palm branches just a, a few days before, who now were watching with morbid fascination as Roman guards mocked him and beat him to within an inch of his life. Or that I could have been one of those looking on as they made him carry his own cross up the long and narrow streets of Jerusalem to a hill named Golgotha, aptly named because it was known as the place of the skull, standing helplessly while all this was going on, saying and doing nothing as they nailed his hands and feet to the cross and hung him in the blistering hot morning sun so that he could die a slow and painful death, lingering there all throughout the day, in the cross's shadow until at last Jesus cries out, It is finished, and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, that's why 
I don't want to have to answer Jesus when he asks me, Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep awake for one hour? Because, folks, I want to stay at the Palm Sunday Parade, okay? Thank you very much. I want to be there amongst the Hosanna shouting. I want to wave palm branches in festal adoration. And moreover, I want to come back here next Sunday and join in all the Alleluia's and Resurrection hymns. I don't want Maundy Thursday to interfere with that. I don't want to have to wait in the garden as darkness descends. I certainly do not want to have to face the agony of the cross. And above all, I don't want to be confronted with my own weakness, by my own shame and utter brokenness before God. Because then, if I had to do that, then I would have to admit that I was there when they crucified my Lord. And the thought of that does, as the song goes, cause me to tremble. See, what Jesus asks in our text today, could you not keep awake? In many ways, seems an impossible question. I mean, how do you answer a question like that? But friends, it's our answer to that question that makes all the difference as to whether next Sunday will truly break as a bright and glorious day of resurrection or whether it's going to merely exist as another fun celebration of springtime bunnies and marshmallow chicks. The truth is, there is much more going on here than whether or not the disciples can keep their eyes wide open in the wee hours. What Jesus is asking is whether we are going to be able to be with him in all that is to come. Whether we're fully able to embrace what God was asking of him as Monday, Thursday dawned inevitably into the Friday that is so unthinkably referred to as good. It's not an easy question to answer. It's not. Because to be with Jesus now puts us face to face, not only with the utter pain and the absurdity of human life, but not only with the reality of sin and death, but also places us at the foot of the cross on which we see above us the one who willingly took our pain, our sin, and our death as his own. It's hard, excruciatingly hard, and it ultimately defies all our human understanding and our sensibilities. But that's exactly where we need to be with him, how we need to be with him, if we're going to rise with him on the day of resurrection. It's as simple and as difficult as that. The ancient church, you know, had a name for all this. He, they called it the celebration of our Lord's Paschal journey, which means, quite literally, the mystery of Christ's passion. How it is that Christ's death on the cross cannot ever be separated from his resurrection. How it is that our faith, our very salvation, hinges on the sacrifice made on that cross. 
How it is that this one single act of sacrifice, the bruises by which we're healed, brings us into the crossroads of all human history and brings us into the kingdom of God. As John Howard Yoder has written, the cross is not a detour or a hurdle on the way to the kingdom, nor is it even the way to the kingdom. It is the kingdom to come. Are you willing, he asks, are you willing to keep watch with me for one hour? Can you do it for a day? Will you do it for all of this week? That's what Jesus is asking us on this Palm Sunday morning, beloved. Palm Sunday, this day of great paradox, celebration of joy and triumph that also points the way to agony and shame. The glory of Christ's entry into Jerusalem that becomes the looming sadness of the passion. But I'll tell you this, it is when we keep vigil with him on this holy week, when we keep prayer and devotion at the forefront, when we confront ourselves at the foot of his cross, it's in this that we are met by the brightness of God's presence and glory in Jesus' resurrection. It is a difficult vigil, and overwhelming, overwhelming for us as much, at least as much, as for the disciples before us. But as Anne Weems said beautifully in one of her poems, it is Golgotha that we fear. But keeping covenant means keeping covenant under a cross, as well as by an empty garden tomb. So let's not be found sleeping on this holy week, dear friends, but rather let us be resolved to keep watch with him in the bleak darkness of the night, that we might go with him to Golgotha, and that finally we might be there at the empty tomb. For it is in dying with Christ that we rise with Christ. And yes, Yes, Christ will rise. Christ will rise. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. And that's the message entitled, Keeping Watch. It was recorded as part of our March the 28th Palm Sunday online service of worship at East Church. To which, by the way, you are always invited to join us live, each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. Most especially on this Holy Week and Easter season, we would love to have you be with us. And with that, we're at the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.